Padre Peregrino on YouTube and Apple Podcasts. Very glad to be joined today by Zachary King. He is Skyping us all from Kansas today. Very special guest. I want to thank you for joining us. How are you doing today, Zachary? Good. Today's a good day. Today's a good day. Zachary King was a satanic high wizard. There's a lot of people who dabble in magic, but the satanic church of the world never has less than two, never more than ten high wizards at a time. He converted to Catholicism about ten years ago and is a very intense Catholic. Uh, as intensely as he was into Satan, he's ten times more into God now. And what we're going to hear in this whole podcast and show today is things that you won't want to have your kids hear. It ultimately glorifies God and shows that Our Lady chose Zachary King. But we're going to be covering uh, some difficult topics. So this is one of those podcasts slash YouTube videos probably don't want to have your kids listen to. Also, I'd ask everyone out there to please pause this video or podcast and just say a St. Michael prayer for us as you're listening to this. We're not doing this live, but you'll be listening to this probably three days after we put it up. And uh, we don't care if some of the New World Order agents come after us and kill us, but we'd like to be protected from sin. That's the only thing that, that we, uh, we ask the precious blood of Jesus to ultimately protect us from. I mean, there's a few other things that you know we need in life. But uh, the main thing is uh, the protection of the precious blood of Jesus. So please stop this podcast and video if you're watching this uh, anytime in 2020 or 2021, whenever this happens to go up. Please say a St. Michael prayer for us. And we're also going to say a St. Michael prayer as this begins. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. St. Michael, the archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke whom we humbly pray and do thou, Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God. Cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, I think we're going to bookend the glorious notes of this whole thing. We're going to start with Zachary's conversion story, jump into his evil, the evil deeds he did after that, talk about his interactions with some of the big-time players in world government and U.S. government, and then end on glorifying God. Uh, so the bookends will be glorifying God, but there's going to be quite a mess of satanic activity in the middle. But really what I want everyone to be listening for is how this plays into the next election. There's a lot of players that aren't just uh, questionable, but we're heavily involved in Satanism, and we're going to hear about that from Zachary King today. But as I promised, why don't we start with the good news? And Zachary, can you tell us, after years of practicing as a high wizard in the Satanic Church, what happened when you were in New England and you met that woman with a miraculous medal when you were working in that tattoo shop. If I remember correctly, that was in uh, Vermont? That was a, uh, a jewelry store, actually. Okay. It was uh, Piercing Pagoda. And um, I had the night before, I did a magic spell. And no one knew that I did but me. And then the next day, I was a manager of Piercing Pagoda. I went in, uh, this woman came up, said she was looking for a pair of gold hoop earrings. So I present the perfect pair. And then she tells me, well, you know, I'm shopping with my daughter and I'm going to keep doing that. And when I'm done, I'll come back. And I knew when she said that, most people mean, 
I'm going to go find it cheaper someplace else. But she had an honest face. I knew she was coming back. And three hours later, she came back. And at the end of the transaction, I said, you know, if you call the 800 number on this receipt and take a survey, you might win $1,000. And she said, that's great. I've got something for you, too. And she reached in her purse. And I thought, oh, my gosh, no. She's going to pull out a Jack Chick pamphlet. (laughs) And then I have to drop to my knees and beg for forgiveness. All this stuff I can't do because I believed I sold my soul to the devil when I was 13. And instead, she pulls out this little gold disc. Now, I sell cheap gold and silver and, at that time, stainless. So I recognize cheap gold or cheap. And she pulls out this very cheap, small, gold-colored piece of tin. Clearly cheap. And then she says the weirdest thing I've ever heard. Now, remember, I was the high wizard for 12 years. I was in Satanism for 26. I believe that nothing can touch me. But also, I partied with about 1,200 rock stars. I helped 1,200 rock stars sell their souls and become famous. So if you can get, take somebody that can write a song and give them unlimited alcohol or drugs, they will say some twisted stuff. So she said something weirder than any song I'd ever heard. She said, the Blessed Mother is calling you into her army. And I thought, Blessed Mother, Isis, Gaia? I don't have any idea who that is. I grew up Baptist. Mary gave birth to Jesus. What else did Mary do? Nothing. How many titles does she have? None. How many names? Mary. So we were slightly wrong. But, you know, that, that's what I knew about her. So I'm not associating the Blessed Mother with Mary. And then she says it's very powerful. No, 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 no. I was the high wizard for 12 years. That means, and there could be, there, there generally is between two and five. The number on occasion can be as low as one or as high as 10. Oh, of high wizards. Right, of high wizards. Mm-hmm. So if at one point I might have been the only one high wizard, there's seven billion people in the world. That's a power trip and a half. Mm-hmm. I might have only high wizard out of seven billion people. And you're trying to tell me this is powerful? No. So then my mind just I'm, just, I'm just thinking, how do these people all find me? Like, what is it? Is there, there must be like a neon sign above my head that only crazy people can see that has an arrow pointing down to me and says, crazy, come here. And, you know, I'm thinking, she has gold. I have her money. She made my day financially. Why is she still talking to me? So I tune her back in. And she says again, it's very powerful. Mm -mm. No, you don't challenge me like that. I'm going to take it in my hand. I'm going to clench my fist around it. And I'm going to feel that there's no power. No mistake. It it is a miraculous medal, right? It is a blessed miraculous medal. And for any non-Catholic listeners out there... This is a medal that Mary appeared to St. Catherine Labore in the 19th century, asked her to cast it. And for any non-Catholics out there, we do not adore Mary as God. 
but we do know that Jesus promised many graces through the hands of Mary to anybody that wears this medal. So I'm going to either toss it on my floor or slam it on my counter, and I'm going to tell her it's worthless, and I don't care if she gets offended. At my store, as I said, I'm the manager. I make almost every day. I make my months. I make my quarters. I make my six mark and I make my year I'm the only manager that does that so my I, I practice customer service second to none my boss which is a regional manager is never going to believe that I was rude to this woman and which I am planning on being rude to this woman because she's challenging me being the high wizard by telling me this blessed miraculous metal is powerful but she didn't know you were the high wizard of a satanic church. Correct. Okay. She doesn't know I'm the high wizard, and she doesn't know I'm a satanist. And she didn't announce it was a blessed, miraculous medal. And even if she had, I wouldn't have known what that was. Understood. So I stuck my hand out, and she's all smiles. And she drops this medal in my hand, and I clench my fist around it, all ready to tell her all about it, except that my mall and my store completely disappear. And I'm standing in a darkened void, and it's me and this woman. Her name is Marianne Wickman, and she's Father Joseph Whalen's personal assistant. And she starts telling me about the magic spell I did last night, and that's of the devil. And I've done over 100 assisted abortions, and that's of the devil. And I've split over 100 churches, and that's of the devil. And then she tells me about nine or ten other sins I've done, ends all of them with, and that's of the devil. I don't know who this woman is. Let, let's go back to, I might have been the only high wizard in seven billion people. My magic was stronger. I was 91% accurate as a high wizard. Stats are kept on all your magic spells. So 91% accuracy, I could not give somebody a worthless piece of tin transport both of us to a darkened void and know all their sins mm. Her is stronger than mine. I'm terrified of this woman. Everything she's saying to me, I'm breaking out in sweat. I'm wanting to let go of the metal. But what happens if I let go and I just fall through this darkened void? What happens if I don't get my way back to my mall? What happens if I, I can't escape this? So I'm not sure what to do. And then she says again, the Blessed Mother is calling you into her army. And instantly, I knew that was the Mother of God. Something as a former Baptist, we would never say. Mm. And when I realized it was the Mother of God, Mary appeared to me. And she smiled at me. A smile I knew I did not deserve. I was acutely aware of my 146 assisted abortions. <coughs> and she took me by the hand, the hand that had the metal in it, and she turned me around. And Divine Mercy Jesus was standing behind me. But I didn't know what Divine Mercy was. I just knew that I've got these rays of light shooting out of Jesus and shooting around me, over me, and under me, and through me. And in that instant, I knew I had not sold my soul to the devil when I was 13. 
I knew that all my, I knew that Jesus Christ was my Lord and Savior. I knew that all my magic, my occult, my Satanism, and my new age was false and fake promises. And I knew everything Catholic was truth. And then the blessed told me that my job was to help her end abortion. And I opened my hand and I was standing back in my mall, back in my store. And this woman is still talking to me. And she tells me that she is Father Joe Whalen's personal assistant. <coughs> and that he's the busiest priest he knows. And he's so busy, he doesn't even have time to talk to her. And while she's talking to me, her phone rings. And she looks at it. She said, this is Father Joe. I've got to take this call. And, you know, she just explained him being the busiest priest. So I'm like, sure, go ahead. Take that call. <laughs> At that time, Father Joe was 70-something years old, and he was starting to go deaf. So he talked like everybody was going deaf. Hear everything he said. She gets on the phone. She's like, Father Joe, what can I help you with? Can you hand the phone to the young man you're talking to? Certainly. So she hands me the phone, and now I'm shaking like Ozzy Osbourne. And I was like, yes. Welcome to the faith. Hand the phone back to Marianne. <laughs> so I hand the phone back to her. She gets two more phone calls like that, similarly. And then her daughter comes up to the counter, and she said, would you go out to the truck and bring this man one of each of everything? And she says, okay, and she disappears. Now, I'm not Catholic yet, so I don't know what one of each of everything means. What year was this, Zachary? What's that? What year was what year did this take place? This was January 2008. Okay. So her daughter comes back in with a paper grocery bag with over 100 Lighthouse Catholic media discs in it and a bunch of pamphlets of why do Catholics do this or believe that and a Catholic Bible. And then she writes down where she goes to mass and you know I I started going to daily mass the next day. And the very next day, I'm at Mass, I, I brought a friend with me, and at the consecration, I saw Jesus. And I thought everybody in the room that's Catholic was seeing the same thing. I thought if you were Catholic, you saw Jesus up there. And I asked my friend, I was like, you see that? She's like, what? I said, that man up there on stage. And she said, that's the priest. I said, no, the other guy. She was, I, I don't see anybody else. And I thought, you don't see it because you're not Catholic. So then a couple of days later, I found out there was this place called Perpetual Adoration where I could go see Jesus anytime. And I asked if there was a line to do that, or is there a sign-up sheet? Do you have to wait for your name to be called, and then you get to come in and see Jesus? And they said, no, that there, there's no line to get in. You just show up. And I thought, that's insane. You can go see God anytime you want, and there's no line. There's a line to get in to see Elvis, and he's been dead over 40 years. So we went, and shock number one, we're the only other car in the parking lot. Shock number two, there's no line to get in. Shock number three, we open up the chapel door, 
and it's me and my friend, Jesus, and this woman. And this woman looks up like a deer in the headlights and packs her stuff as fast as she can go. Because she saw you, or what? Yeah, she saw me and my friend come in. She said, you cannot leave till someone else comes in. And bam, she's out the door. And I'm thinking, why would I leave? I'm in a room with God. So I started going to adoration for anywhere from one to 18 hours a day. You said something to me on the phone two weeks ago that surprised me, Zachary. I, you said nobody can sell, sell their soul to Satan. And I thought, well, that doesn't sound like how, what exorcists have told me, how I need to coach people in the confessional through it, that people, you know, there, there is a way to, gave it, to give your soul back if you've sold your soul to Satan. Yeah, it's, you can't sell what you don't own. Uh, God died for you. Jesus paid the ultimate price for your soul. You, know, you don't own it. You can't loan it, lease it, rent it. You certainly can't sell it. And you may have heard that the devil's a liar. So he lies to everybody. He wants to give you despair on your deathbed. All you have to do, you, what you've done is that you gave your will to the devil. So you have to want salvation and you have to want to give your will back to God and you have to go to confession. Praise God. And then the St. Raphael Healing Oil Ministry got me a spiritual director. They got me Father Anthony Gramlick. He's director for the National Shrine of Divine Mercy in Stockbridge, Massachusetts. And he tells me that I at least need deliverance and I might need an exorcism. So I went back to Monsignor Lavalle. He was the priest at St. Francis Xavier Catholic Church in Winooski, Vermont. That was the first Catholic church I went to. And I told him what Father Anthony said. And he said, you're sitting in front of adoration. You're sitting in front of Jesus for up to 18 hours a day. There's no demon that'd be willing to do that. He says, and I'm going to go on record here as saying that when Mary and Jesus showed up at your conversion, that scared the hell out of any demon that was with you. He said, but I'll perform a deliverance just to make sure that you're okay. So he did a deliverance. And that actually, I had satanic gifts that I didn't know I had until that deliverance, and then I no longer had them. I had the gift of seeing demons and angels. Okay. And how, how could you have that gift if you didn't know you had it? I didn't know it was a satanic gift. Oh. Oh, I knew, okay. I didn't know it was a satanic one. Ah, uh, gotcha. Um, after I got the deliverance, I could no longer see them. When you were a high wizard, why weren't you afraid of angels? I was. Okay. You know, I, I was terrified of them. You know, in my mind, the, the demons were there to keep me safe, and the angels were there to, keep, to give me harm. You know, it wasn't until I was Catholic that I realized that the angels were there to keep me safe and the demons were there to keep me damned. Boy, doesn't that just explain how many people see the Catholic faith in the world today? Yes, we are the bad guy to pretty much everyone. Yeah, exactly. Now, what do demons look like? Um, they come in all different shapes and sizes, um, but they all have something in common, 
they all look like their skin is very dark, but it's almost it's a shiny darkness. Um, but they come tall and short, fat, skinny, uh, skinny with a pot belly, very sharp teeth. The um, the addiction demon is short and fat, and has a row of teeth that are like needles on top and bottom. Um, and that they all pretty much, you can tell what you're looking at when you see one. Some of them have, the, the one that I saw in the mirror when I was a kid had, um, I don't know what they were. It was parts of its mouth that connected from the top and the bottom, but it, was, it looked like skin. It was attached to the top and the bottom on both sides. And then teeth behind that. But, you know, at that time when I saw that, I had heard it was a spirit of a burn victim. So, you know, I know sometimes your skin melts when you're at a fire. So maybe that's what I, I was looking at. I didn't realize I was looking at a demon. Uh, what led you to think you could sell your soul to Satan at age 13? At least you gave your will over to the enemy of human nature at age 13. And if I remember correctly, you did most of those ritual abortions even before you were 20 years old. Is that correct? Well, I had – no. I had – no. Uh, Great. I had, let's just – let's like rewind I, your childhood. You grew up in Florida? Yeah, I'd have been a horrible person. Um, when I was 10 years old, I had – I was almost addicted to magic movies. Movies about magic or Satan – I mean, you know, you could always tell Satan was the bad guy, but people in scary movies can levitate. To me, levitation was flying. Superman can fly. I mean, Superman can levitate. You know, and I wanted to do something like that. And, you know, I, I watched all those magic movies and, you know, like bed knobs and broomsticks or... Um, uh, what was the? I can't think of the name of the movie. It was Mary Poppins. You know, clearly she was magical. How about that TV show Bewitched? Bewitched. That was another favorite. You know, Endora was the bad guy, and Samantha was the good guy, and then her little daughter could practice magic. And you know, all the characters in there were a lot of fun. And um, you know, I just got so that I wanted to know: Is this real? And real quick, as, a, as an ex-Satanic high wizard, what would you say to any parents out there listening, your thoughts on letting them read Harry Potter, letting their kids read Harry Potter? Oh, my gosh. Well, the, I, I made a video about Harry Potter, and in it, I, I have a, a friend named Father Chris Crotty. Father Chris used to be an exorcist. He said one year he had 11 cases of exorcism the entire year. And the next year, he had 11 cases during the summer. And when he started doing all the exorcisms, some of these people, one of these people lives in a box in an alley. And it goes from there to rentals to some guy that lives in a mansion. There's people that belong to the gym. Some people have never worked out. Some people are rich. Some people are destitute. The thing that they all have in common is that they all own the complete set of Harry Potter books. You mean when people become inexplicably rich, 
it was due to the magic in Harry Potter books? No, the, the all eleven people were possessed. Oh, gotcha. And, and they, they were all all were possessed via what? The Harry Potter books. Just and reading them or doing the spells in them? We don't know. Okay, fair enough. Uh, um, I heard a story from an exorcist in Los Angeles that said he spoke at a spiritual warfare conference that I also spoke at on the Terry and Jesse show. Mm -hmm. This would have been January, 2016. And he told a story that he got from father Chad Ripperger. And he said that father Chad was doing a, I guess I should call him father Ripperger was doing uh, an exorcism. And he asked the demon to identify itself. And the demon said he was one of the six. And so he asked for further clarification because one of the six doesn't clear it up. And so the demon identified himself and said that at one point, J.K. Rowling's through automatic writing asked to become possessed so that she could write a hit series. And so she got possessed by six demons and they wrote the Harry Potter series. Incredible. And we're going to talk a little bit later about the temporal, never eternal, the temporal power Satan has to give to people. Of course, they may lose their souls in this big gamble. Um, but you, as the ex-Satanic High Wizard, when you were the High Wizard, you were the conduit of many of these temporal deals. Um, right. We'll get, we'll get back to you as a child. So I went to my, my dad and the Baptist preacher and asked them if magic was real. Could I really do this? And they both said no. Now, when I give my talks at Catholic churches, I bring up the Baptist preacher said, no, magic wasn't real. But why would God tell you not to practice something if it was impossible to do it? Like, if, thou shalt, if, if you can't lie, thou shalt not lie, it wouldn't be in the Ten Commandments. If it was impossible to murder somebody, thou shalt not kill would not be in the Ten Commandments. So if it was impossible to do magic, there wouldn't be 30 plus places in the Bible that told you not to do magical things. Absolutely. But, you know, these people didn't know. and They told me, no, that it's impossible to do. You know, and I thought, well, adults don't know everything. You know, I'm seeing it in the movies. Plus, I'm playing Dungeons and Dragons every weekend. You know, I'm always, I'm always doing the wizard or a sorcerer in a campaign. So I thought, you know, magic works there, but it's just a game. You know, maybe it would in real life. So, you know, also, though, at this time, I'm in school. I'm in fifth grade. And the very first day of school in the fifth grade, this kid comes up to me and he says, meet me in the bathroom at the first break. Well, the first break is at 1020. And I don't know why I'm meeting him in the bathroom, but sure, why not? So I walk in to the bathroom, and there's 50 kids in there, boys and girls. And they tell us we're going to use a closed, uh, a paper clip to turn out the lights, and then we're going to chant this phrase into the mirror, and if we do it right, the spirit of a burn victim will show up. All right, I'm down, sure. So we do this, and we're playing the Bloody Mary game. And we do the chant, and the lights are out, and suddenly the spirit of the burn victim appears in the mirror. 
and 49 kids run screaming out of the bathroom. One child, one idiot, I can call him an idiot because it was me, stayed. I thought this was the coolest thing in the world. I chanted a phrase X number of times, and the bird victim showed up. I did this. That's so cool. But then notes were sent home from school because kids got really hurt bad, like broken arm, broken leg hurt, trying to escape this, this terror. And, you know, we were told that if we're caught playing this, we'll be suspended for three days. Well, I don't want to be suspended for three days. So I start playing it at home. Because, you know, when I played it at school, I played it once a day. But at home, Zachary, if I can pause you, was this burn victim in heaven, hell, or purgatory? I'm going to guess he was in hell, but it, when the reality was it was a demon. Oh, it was a demon playing as, okay, I got you. Yep. And, mm-hmm. and it wasn't, ultimately, he looked like a demon. I didn't realize that's what demons look like. Okay. So, I'm, I'm playing the game like in the morning when I wake up, when I go to the bathroom, before I brush my teeth, after I brush my teeth, before I have breakfast, after I have breakfast, when I brush my teeth, but just before I walk out the door. You know, when I get home from school, my parents aren't home, so I can play as much as I want till they get home. You know, then once they get home, I can still do it because I've got a private bathroom in my room. So, and then when I go to bed at night, if I wake up during the night to go to the bathroom or get a drink of water, I'm still playing it. So I'm playing the game like 25 times a day. And every time I play it, I'm seeing this scary face. So at the point that I decided I was going to do a magic spell in real life, you know, I know I can't tell anybody because I'm a little nerdy kid. You know, I don't want to be made fun of more. But I mean, if it works, I'm doing the Bloody Mary thing and the spirit of a burn victim keeps showing up. You know, maybe that's magic. Or maybe if it's not magic, maybe that's a power I can harness somehow. You know, and the magic works in the game, but that's just a game. So I think about what kind of spell do I want to do? Well, I get a pop quiz every Friday, but I don't want to hurt anybody. I don't want to kill my teacher so she can't give us a pop quiz anymore. But that's because I'm smart and I can think ahead. Even if I kill her, some other teacher is going to give me the pop Right. So... But if I could win some cash somehow, this is before the lotto. So, you know, we didn't have things like that where you could play that and win money. You know, there's got to be a way, though, that I could find some money. So I did a spell for money. And the next day I went out and I found a can of tennis balls with a $5 bill in it. And I thought, all right, that's pretty cool. You know, the, my, my favorite things in life at that point is... Comic books, which are 15 to 20 cents, candy bars, which are 15 to 20 cents, and penny candy, which is a penny. But that could have been a coincidence. I'm going to try it again. So the next Friday, I did the spell again. Saturday, I went out and I found a $10 bill on the side of the road. $15 in eight days, I can nickel and dime my way up to being a millionaire, but still could be a coincidence. So the next Friday, I did it again. But this time, I did it in my bathroom at home. So I did the spell, stopped halfway in, did the Bloody Mary chant, got the demonic face showed up, 
And then I let it know I was doing the spell for money. I finished everything up, threw everything out that I needed to so I didn't get caught. Next day, I went out playing, and I found what looked like Monopoly money rolled up tight in rubber bands. I just stuck it in my pocket and went back to playing. Then later that night, you know, we've taken our baths. Everybody's in bed asleep. And I'm in my room with a sheet up over my head and a flashlight in my mouth, unraveling, you know, this thing to see what I got. What is my treasure? Now, it looked like Monopoly money to me because I had never seen a $100 bill. And when I unwrapped them, all I had 10 $100 bills. You know, I had a giant walk-in closet and my, my parents had filled it with so many clothes and shoes that they're not going to notice one more leather jacket or two or three more pairs of shoes. They'll just think it's something they bought. You know, so before my parents bought what I needed, I was buying what I wanted. And, you know, I was having a great time. And then when I was 11 years old, I was a victim of a sexual assault, the hands of a female teacher at school. And I, my parents had never told me anything about sex, so I had no idea what just happened to me. I'm so I just, sorry. I just know that the, the teacher told me that it was my idea, that I wanted to do it, that it was my fault. And if I told anybody, I'd get in trouble. I'm so sorry. So thank you. The only thing that gave me more solace was magic. So I dove into that. When I was 12 years old, there was a kid that used to play D&D with us, and he disappeared. He stopped Just for the listeners, D&D is Dungeons and Dragons. Don't play it. Do you, think, right. do you think the abuse, I mean, do you think you turn to the magic to cover the abuse as sort of a Band-Aid on a wound type thing? Kind of. I mean, I, well, I mean, I started magic when I was 10. I oh, got that's right. 11. But I dove further into magic. You know, now I've, I read every book I could find at the library. Magic consumed me because I didn't have an outlet. I couldn't go to anybody and tell them what happened. Right. And, and I was told it was my fault. She's a teacher. Why, why would she lie to me? You know, I, I believe that what she said, I believed it was my fault. That, you know, because I, I enjoyed what happened and, you know, I, I wanted it to happen and all of that. And now I feel guilty sure. about it. Right. So when I'm 12 years old, this kid comes back and starts playing D&D with us again. And we, we were like, we thought you moved. And he goes, no, I was homeschooled. My, my parents kept me home. I don't, you know, I, I don't hang out with a lot of people, but you guys seem okay. So he told us about this group that believed magic was real and practiced magic. So I went and started hanging out there, too. And these people, it was like a large group of people, and they believed magic was real. Uh, you know, at my house, I could have three meals a day and a snack if mom was in a good mood. But over there, I could eat five times a day if I wanted. I could live on pizza and potato chips and candy bars if I wanted. You know, I could live on anything I wanted to eat was okay. You know, I got to try my first cigar, my first cigarette, my first beer. My first shot, um, mushrooms, pot, you know, pills, anything I wanted to try. You know, I, I started doing MDMA and acid, which when you do them together, it's called candy flipping. And that turned into like my favorite activity. I love that. And, you know, I'm not, I shouldn't love any of that. But, you know, I, I'm really getting into this. 
you know, and you know, my parents were the no police. Anything I wanted to do. The Moody Blues are coming to town. Can I go see them? No. You know, there's a new movie coming out on Friday. Can I go see it? No. You know, this is happening. No. Dad, can I? No. After a while, you just look at my dad. No. But these people, you know, it's like, hey, guess what? We're going to go see the Moody Blues on Saturday. And after that, we're going to see a movie that just opened the day before. You know, and you choose what you want us to eat. And we'll have that for dinner. So, you know, everything that my parents said no to, Satan said yes to. You know, when you're a kid, you equate God with your parents. Mm. And saying, here's a list of 10 things that you can't do. Not only can you not do those 10 things, but here's 500 other things throughout my entire Bible that you cannot do. And then you've got your parents also saying, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. So God and my parents are the no police. And here's the devil, the person that I'm told not to trust, saying, here, have a joint, have some cocaine, have a piece of pizza, have, have some sugar, have everything that your parents say no to. All this stuff that God says no to, why? It feels good. Just do it. So, sure, why not? So something that I didn't understand as a kid was that as a child, we are protected by an umbrella that, that covers all of us as children. It's a level of protection that God gives us. And we get to have it because we're obedient to God and our parents. And when you decide that you no longer want to be obedient to your parents, you are no longer under that umbrella of protection. You, you're broken away from God's will. You know, it's one of the Ten Commandments, and you really need that level of protection. It's why innocent children are so protected. You know, they have so much, you know, from God. You know, I didn't realize about that umbrella of protection. And even God having, here's a list of 500 things you can't do, protects us. You know, everything that you do that God said not to do, I would say is a grave sin, a mortal sin. You know, it's a sin if you're doing something God told you not to do. What level of sin? I'm not sure. But all sin keeps you in hell. And that's where Satan wants you to be. You know, Satan isn't your friend. He's not this great guy who says, here, do some cocaine. It'll be great. Here, smoke some weed. It's fine. Do whatever you want to do. You want to have an abortion? God understands. No, God doesn't understand. There are so many people that tell me, well, God meets me where I am. And it's like, well, yes, but then he tells you to go forth and sin no more. Mm. So many people that don't get that part. You know, he saw the, the immoral woman at the well. He didn't say, keep being a hooker. It's fine. I understand. You know, he said, go forth and sin no more. And so many people don't get that part. You know, they're just like, oh, he meets me where I am. He understands. God understands my homosexuality. It's like, no, he does not. You know, there, there are sins that you cannot, you, you can eventually, you can, yes, you can go to confession. But if you die and you haven't gone to confession, you know, universalism is a heresy. Hell is not going to. Hell is not going to be empty. You're going to be shocked and find a lot of your friends are there. 
You know, and as I hear you speak, Zachary, I'm reminded of what we say in the baptismal promises. We reject the we reject all the false promises of Satan. It sounds like as a kid, you were already believing these false promises. Why does Satan make them, and why do people take the bait? And what's the end of what's the end game of all this? Well, as a kid, you know, I was taught in the Baptist church that Jesus defeated Satan on the cross two thousand years ago. So he's not a threat to us. There's nothing he can do to us, and that Satan is afraid of the Baptist church. Now, I don't know how the Baptist church missed the part about Satan attacking God on his own turf. Now, if he was in heaven and he attacked God on his own turf, what do the Baptists have that God doesn't? Like, why is he afraid of the Baptist church? Mm. I never read that verse till I was Catholic. So I don't know if they just somehow missed it or just didn't understand it. Maybe they didn't think the great dragon was Satan. So Satan packages up a box of lies, but he puts it in a really nice box. I mean, think about the nicest present you've ever received. And that doesn't even come close. We're talking about a box covered in glitter. Looks like gold. Maybe neon lights. It's shiny. It's lighting up. It's flashing. Sin looks amazing. Sin looks like it's fun. If sin didn't look fun, nobody would do it. Absolutely. You know, sin looks like this this vial of cocaine is going to be better than any vial you've ever done. This weed, this is hydroponic headies from Canada. It's going to make you higher than any other has ever made you. This girl is going to be better than any girl you've ever been with. She'll be fantastic. And there's no strings attached. You just do it and move on. Mm. No responsibilities. You know, you're, you have a girlfriend that wants to get married to you. Sleep with this girl instead. No marriage, no strings. Nothing will happen. Nothing will. Who will know? God understands. It's okay. Get the abortion. It'll be fine. God understands. There's been 57 million abortions in America just from Planned Parenthood since 1973. God understands. Everything's okay. In the, in the Protestant church, we were taught that once you decide to accept Jesus into your heart, you're saved. You can sin all you want. Now, somehow, when I was Baptist, I also didn't see that, that verse in Galatians and the one in Revelation that lists the people that won't inherit the kingdom of God. Mm. No, it doesn't give you a long list and then say, well, once saved, always saved. That's None right. Of that there. That's right. You know, it says, don't do this or you're not going to heaven. So Satan makes these promises, can kind of fulfill on them. This is what people forget. I remember earlier in this podcast, you were saying that you were taught that things like uh, seances weren't true. It's right there in the Bible. If you remember, there's the seance with the witch of Endor, and that's the final straw that makes Saul lose his kingdom. So um, these things are real, 
even though the promise is temporary because you lose your soul. In other words, Satan delivers on a temporary scale, but then he demands your soul in hell forever unless you repent. And right. a single altar call isn't sufficient if you're not going to live in union with Christ. Right. So tell us, you know, it sounds like um, the lies started to deliver. Again, I want all listeners to hear at the temporary level, certainly not at the eternal level. Um, at the temporary level, Satan was delivering quite well on his lies because God, due to our own sin, God has allowed Satan to have limited power here on earth. But it is, it's a real but limited power. And um, there's a lot of people interested in exorcism movies. Maybe there's people listening to this podcast because there's a fascination with evil. Um, but, you know, the worst evil is sin because that separates us from God and leads to an eternity with Satan and demons in hell forever. One of the things that, that people don't understand is that when you're not in a state of grace, you're not in union with God. And it's very hard sometimes to get in that state of grace when sin is so comfortable. Sin makes you stupid. That's right. You're, you're used to being in a place that you're not supposed to be in, and you're comfortable being there. You know, I talk to Protestants, I get interviewed by them, and when I mention that the only way to get into, into a state of grace is to go to confession, they think they confess directly to God, and then a lot of them think they're always in a state of grace. And it's like, you don't have a way to get in a state of grace. And they don't understand that either. What a gift we have as Catholics. How many Catholics are afraid of confession? And then two things they're missing. One, how frequent mortal sin is. There's a lot of Catholics out there that just think, if I murder somebody, I'm in mortal sin. If I become a satanic high wizard, I'm in mortal sin. Very few Catholics know that almost every sexual sin, every sin against the Sixth and the Ninth Commandment, contraception and marriage, pornography, masturbation, all those are mortal sins. And the only way well, to come out of those is baptism if you're not baptized, confession to a priest. Otherwise, as you said, we're not living in sanctifying grace if we have those sins in our heart. Destroying someone's reputation. Um, not going to Sunday Mass when there's not lockdown. Obviously, things are different if the bishops have given an exception to that. Um, but, I mean, not to scare everybody, but the the threshold to reach mortal sin from venial sin is a thousand times lower than most Catholics out there think. Not that we have to find a, you know, a sin ever, under every rock and become scrupulous and be, we don't want to be more afraid of Satan than we are of God. Um, but, you know, I remember St. Saint, Saint Faustina saw all these souls in hell and she said the number one thing that united them is they didn't believe hell existed. Most of them. Most of the souls in hell, said St. Faustina, did not, while they were on earth, believe hell existed. I think we could easily add on to that a very close corollary, a very close cousin with something you mentioned 30 minutes ago, universalism. Catholics who think that, yeah, there's hell, there's some demons there, but there's nobody there. Um, those who teach that might be very afraid when they wake up there, especially priests and bishops who teach universalism. Right, right. You know, there's also a problem with there's sexual sins that people don't believe are sins. To confession. In uh, Pennsylvania, I went to a priest and I confessed something that I know is a mortal sin, and he claims it's no longer a mortal sin. It's no longer a sin. 
And I brought my examination of conscience form with me. And, you know, I said, it's right here. And I read it to him. And it was printed, it was by Ignatius Press. And he said that it was false, that those sins are no longer sins, that we're still allowed to do those things now. How horrible. How many people are you leading to hell by saying that? Literally leading to hell. There's people that I talk to, you know, you might want to censor this out, I don't know. But there are people that I talk to that don't believe oral sex is a sin. They believe that if you're married, then it's free, it's free game. You can do whatever you want because you're married. You know, and me trying to explain that, no, that's not correct. And I'm the bad guy, and they don't want to listen to me. I think I'll leave that. I think people out there uh, need to know that they've been taught wrong Catholicism because uh, you have the support of St. Thomas Aquinas and St. Alphonsus Liguori on that. So we'll move to the next topic, but I'm going to leave that in there because you're absolutely correct. There's And there's, there's a dozen, dozen other sins that kids, men, women are endangering themselves with. Um, you know, people get afraid of possession, but being in mortal sin is a lot worse than possession because in possession, a demon has your body. In mortal sin, a demon has your soul. And now you were you uh, were in very, very deep levels of sin. Let's move into how you got attracted, not just to magic. And is that always spelled with a K? Is that correct? M-A-G-I-C-K at the end? If it's satanic magic. Yeah. So parents out there, if you, well, if you see any books with magic, you shouldn't have your kids let your kids have it. But if there's a K at the end, it's satanic. Um, so the problem with getting a, a book that is M-A-G-I-C is that that magic might draw you to doing satanic Exactly. Magic. It's, it's a, what do, you, what do they call it, a gateway drug of Satanism. And then it's, it's full-blown Satanism when there's a K at the end, right? Right. When, when but I obviously low-level Satanism is not safe either. Right. Well, when I was 14, I had pretty much just turned 14, and we had a sex party at an adult woman's house and then it was all the male members between 12 and 15. And the, the goal was to get the woman pregnant so she could have a, a late-term abortion. And I said, cool. And then I went home and looked up the word abortion because I didn't know what it meant. My dictionary did not have the word abortion in it. I went to the library, and, and the thinnest book on abortion is about two inches thick. I went and got to read that. So I went up to somebody that I trusted in the coven. And I said, um, I've heard I'm going to commit an abortion, but I don't know what that means. And he says, well, that means you're killing a baby in the womb. And I was like, is that legal? Oh, yeah, in the womb legal, out of the womb murder. So, you know, I believe that, I, had, like I said, I had sold my soul to the devil when I was 13. Then 14, I committed my first assisted abortion. Um, between then and... 21 basically i had done about five or six abortions and when i graduated from high school i was going off to college and i I wanted to join another satanic coven in my coven real quick just for the listeners a coven is a satanic community right but my coven was between 120 and 150 members and it was from all the area towns not just in my town but all the towns around us. So, and I thought our coven was huge. So, when I went off to college, I knew that they weren't going to advertise it in the town square. 
but I needed to get a hold of a satanic coven somehow. You know, we didn't have the internet back then. There weren't message boards. You could go to an actual message board, but you had to find one. And this and was Florida in the 1980s, is that correct? Yeah, Florida in the 1980s. Okay. You had to go to like an adult bookstore or something like that, and then look up the specialty chat boards or um, specialty magazines, because they sold satanic magazines, or they sold swingers magazines, and swingers or there's a lot of Satanism within swingers. Mm. So, so I was looking for things like that. But at my college, I found it because they advertised it in the town square. That there was a Wiccan group there and a Satanic group. And so I started going to the Satanic group. And these were kids away from home for the first time with no adult supervision and believed that the devil was all about getting drunk, getting high, and having sex. I've been doing that since I was 12. I don't need a satanic coven for that. Mm. And these made up magic spells on the spot. You know, it's like they, they didn't like hone their magic. And then to make matters worse to me, they would go to the satanic meeting on Saturday and then Sunday they'd go to church. Not to break it up. They were just, it was like a club. You know, so I don't want a club. I want a real satanic coven. So I heard there was a group out there that was how to rule the world, that they worked with the Illuminati, and that they were giant satanic coven. So I contacted my first coven, because they seemed really well-versed. And I talked to them about it, and they said it was called Satan's World Church, or World Church of Satan, and that they existed, and here's a phone number, call this, and this should work fine for me. So I called them, and I told them what I used to do, that my coven, if you are a regular, if you are brand new to the coven, you are a white robe. If you are an actual Satanist, you are a black robe. And if you practice magic, you are a red robe. I wanted the red robe and I got that. I went from white to black to red and I had a great time. I was the main magic practitioner or one of them in my coven. When I got to the second coven, I went to the first meeting. The first meeting was in a warehouse about the size of a super Walmart. It had about 10,000 people in it at this giant party. And my first night there, I see this guy. This guy looks like a member of KISS wearing a tuxedo. Okay. Top hat, and he had a wand. I'm like, that is the coolest look ever. And I grabbed somebody. I said, who is that? What is that? How can I do that? And he's like, well, who ran your coven? I said, we had a large coven. It was about 120 to 150 members. We had 13 high priests and priestesses. He goes, okay. He goes, well, we're run by a CEO and a board of directors. We have over a million members. And the people that do the, the of, of official magic of the coven are called high wizards. I was like, how can I be a high wizard? I don't know. Nobody knows. I don't know. So go back to me being 13, 12 or 13. I was at a sleepover one night. And I got up to go to the bathroom and get a drink of water. And there was a guy walking through the house wearing a tuxedo, corpse paint on his face, top hat, the wand. Looks like the same look, but not the same guy. And I look at him, my jaw just drops. 
and he winks at me and keeps going. Was the this next, a vision or a real person? This was a real person. Okay. So the next day I ask, hey, I saw this last night. What, what was I looking at? And they said, oh, you dreamed that. That didn't happen. And I was like, okay, this is just adults lying to me. One day I'll find out what this is. So one day happened when I was 18. You know, I was at this party and I saw this guy. And then no one could tell me how to get the position. And in my mind, I heard that the high wizard was handpicked by the devil. So if the devil's got to handpick me, I've got to get the devil's attention. And the most evil thing I knew to do was an abortion. So I started doing more of them. You know, any time that I knew they were doing them, I would volunteer to help or do it. You know, even doing it, your job as the high wizard or as the magic practitioner is to get blood on your hands. It doesn't have to be the babies. It can be the moms. But, you know, you got to get blood on your hands. you got to participate. So I'm trying to do as many of those as I can. When I was 21 years old, I got a letter in the mail. And when I opened it, it said that I was being called before the CEO and board of directors. Of the satanic church. Yes. And I didn't know why. There was no reason. And I know that some people that go there are never seen or heard from again. And I'm thinking, I ain't going out like no sucker. So I went. We got a two-week cooling-off period to buy a handgun in Florida. I went and bought a handgun, like 100 rounds of ammo. And I thought, in case they want to kill me, I'm going to fight back. So I didn't know what I had done wrong. I had no idea. But better safe than sorry. So I show up at this meeting. And they call me in and have me sit down. Very comfortable, big plush leather chair. And they have up on this wall, they drop a curtain down. And there's about between nine and 12 high wizard costumes like all kind of different versions of the same costume. And then they show me different ways to paint your face up. And they, hand, they, they tell me that I've been chosen to be the next high wizard. What state was this in? Florida. Uh-huh. So they're telling me all this, and they ask me if I'm interested. And I said I wasn't sure. And he goes, okay, here, read this first. And it's called the High Wizard Handbook. And it has a cartoon of a high wizard on the cover. And it looks really hokey. And so I open it up. And on the first page, it tells you, big bold letters, no one can tell you what to do. If somebody requests you to do a magic spell, you don't have to say yes. You can say no. Even if they pay the money to the coven for you to do it, you decide whether you do it or not. It doesn't have to do with how much money they give. It's up to you. Being told that and them telling me you're going to work with kings and queens, presidents, monarchs, rock stars, 
actors, billionaires, some millionaires. I'll do this. That <laughs> sounds like the funnest job ever. Absolutely. And just to clarify, there's, there's what, hundreds or thousands of satanic priests in the world, but very few wizards. I want the listeners to understand there's an enormous difference between a satanic priest and a satanic wizard. Um, in a, to be a high priest, let's say you weren't a priest, say you weren't a Catholic priest, um, to be a satanic high priest, all you've got to do is start a coven. Now, a lot of people will tell you, you've got to have 13 members. You don't. You know, as I say, Satan was the first Protestant. Protestantism is very open. You go to a church and you're not, you don't like it, they don't practice dancing. You can find a church that does. Okay. The church doesn't practice drinking. Well, there's plenty of churches that do. So you've got someplace else you can go. You know, this church is, this satanic coven is only interested in sex magic. You're not interested in that. So you join a different satanic coven. That one does political magic. You're not interested. You want to do something else. You join multiple ones. Now, just like in Protestantism, let's say you join 10 churches and you're not happy with any of them. You know what you can do now? You don't even have to try 10 churches. You can try one. You start your own. It's Protestantism. Anybody can be a church. So in Satanism, You've tried a bunch of satanic covens. You're not happy with any of them? Start your own. You don't have 13 members? Doesn't matter. You're the only member. That makes you the high priest. There's tens of thousands of high priests in the world. Hmm. A lot of them only have themselves as a member. Some of them are in bigger covens. There's covens like my one, my first one, has 120 to 150 members. You know, 13 high priests and priestesses. My second coven, World Church of Satan, if you come in and say you're a high priest or a high priestess somewhere, you've got zero power, zero authority, because you could have been in a coven of one. And you can tell us you did that for 20 years. Well, you might have been in a coven of one for 20 years, or you may have been a high priest yesterday, but you're lying. We have no way to prove who you are and what you're doing. So no power, no authority. High Wizard has all the power because he was handpicked by Satan to be in that coven to be the High Wizard. And you were chosen by Satan because of all your abortions. Correct. And I've been practicing magic since I was 10. And I had a reputation for being really good, having most of my magic spells come true. Tell us about your life as High Wizard. You became famous, rich. You were with rock stars, mayors, governors, NFL stars. Why did they come to you? What did you do for them? And tell us about your powers in there. I started, I was the High Wizard. I was made the High Wizard when I was 21 years old. So this was 1987. So in 1987, I was the first, when you become the High Wizard, the first year you're the High Wizard, you go to the cremation of care ceremony at Bohemian Grove. I know a lot of Catholic people, a lot of Catholics involved in deliverance ministry. Those who studied politics know what Bohemian Grove is. Can you tell us the basics of that before you get in there? Sure. Uh, Bohemian Grove is a male-only event. 
but I have seen one female there in the past. And I've seen a lot of females there, if you know about one of the scandalous groups that goes. Um, there's, it's mainly political figures. There's a lot of billionaires that aren't, they're not politicians, but they are involved in politics, like Soros. Um, you know, and it, it's a way for, and there's a lot of homosexuality that happens. And these are Republicans and Democrats, presidents, vice presidents, former presidents at times. You know, and people go there to hobnob. There's a, there's a ceremony that happens that was on Alex Jones, where he snuck in and filmed a bunch of stuff. And at one point, I had to look up when his video was shot, because at the end of it, he's standing in the woods saying that he's watching the ceremony. And there's a guy dressed in what looks like a tuxedo, all black top hat, corpse paint on his face. And he's in a boat going across a man-made lake. And it's part of the ceremony. And I had to look to see, find out the date to see if it was me. Because he was describing a high wizard in the ceremony. The cremation of care, they do a mock sacrifice, which I'm pretty sure at some point it was probably a real sacrifice. They sacrifice a boy, and like he's about seven years old. And in the making of that video, you hear this boy scream. Now he's still alive afterwards, but I hear what they do, or what they what I've seen them do, is that they hook electrodes up to his testicles and shock him so he screams and passes out. And this ceremony happens, the cremation of care is supposed to be a sacrifice of a child and that ends i don't know if you ever bowled when 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 you we used to bowl and we would sure. trash paper mm -hmm. you would say to the person keeping score build a wall and that person would take a pencil and mark out a wall so that no bad luck happens from this point on okay never did that but i do remember the papers but i don't think we were saying that stuff okay well, this was even people that weren't involved in magic would say stuff like this. Gotcha. So this, this is kind of like the cremation of care is a sacrifice that ends all the bad luck of the year and gives you good luck from this point till next year when we do it again. Now, I think to, to also help paint a picture here, when I travel as the High Wizard or anyone travels as the High Wizard, I mentioned that you know they showed me like 10 costumes prior you know when i first got got when i first got offered the job and i had seen two previous high wizards if you are working as the high wizard you have to dress like that now if you're curious as to what that looks like you lack imagination and just can't quite picture corpse paint in a tuxedo go on there's an artist named pink and she has a video look for the official video of like a pill and she has a high wizard that appears in her video four times. The third and fourth time he's conducting a spell or a ritual. There's also, you can look for a photo of a high wizard with pink and it's owned by a Catholic ministry, I think in Spain. And it shows a picture of pink standing on the red carpet with a high wizard. So 
and that would have that's not me but that's the same look it's the same you know look that i had and anytime i'm working i had to wear that costume so when i was a high wizard it was like my it was the first event i did as a high wizard and i got called to bohemian grove i was actually while i went i was told that every president except one has been put into office by the illuminati and i was very fascinated by that and um they told me that i would be rubbing elbows and hobnobbing with the hoi polloi and the billionaires millionaires kings queens politicians um some rock stars gay porn stars uh, prostitutes uh, gay prostitutes and that homosexuality is accepted there it's a it's a regular thing it happens and you know not to be shocked by anything i see and not to act amazed that these people are going to be amazed that i'm there you know they want to see me a lot of these people come there to see the high wizard because back then i mean i hadn't started my magic as a high wizard yet but they were putting it out that i was going to be very successful that they needed me now what these people didn't realize is that you know some of the things that i could do back then was it wasn't that i was doing magic for them cuz i don't do the magic spell in front of the person you know they give me um a written thing that says this is what we want to have done you know like they've got a a company that they'd like to funnel a billion dollars into how can we do that you know it's like sure i can do a magic spell for that but instead of actually doing the magic spell for that i would make a couple of phone calls or i would push some paperwork through i would do something that they don't know how to do you know i know the right person to call or the right paperwork to push through i i know the proper channels to go through to get that done that they don't know you know so they're thinking i was doing magic back when i wasn't but at times i was doing magic you know it just depended on what they wanted done as to what i had to do so like the first year i was there was 87 and the first the president that i saw there was ronald reagan and mm. he looked extremely uncomfortable to be there and i walked up to him i voted for reagan so i went up and i just stuck my hand out to shake his hand and he started to shake my hand and then he saw me and he pulled his hand back and he started leaning backwards like he's not stepping backwards but he's leaning backwards you know and i i thought all right you know i respect that i mean i i look pretty crazy right now there's um there's a video on youtube that i think it's just audio but it mentioned it's a phone call that richard nixon is having with somebody and he says that he'll never go back to bohemian grove because there's too much homosexuality and that's not the word he uses he uses a derogatory term but sure it's the same thing and you know i saw in i think it was 1992 i saw uh, bill clinton and that we shared a meal um he had dessert on his plate and i kept passing this table and i kept watching this cake get smaller and smaller till it was finally gone and i kept wanting to stop and get a piece but i was working and finally i walked by 
And this guy who I think might be Bill Clinton, but people look different in person than they do on TV. Sure. And I walked up to him and asked him, I brought a fork with me. Can I have a piece of that? And he told me to, sure, go ahead, take half. Eat whatever half I wanted and leave him the rest. So I ate the front half, figuring the part that I would really want to be left would be the back half with all the icing. So I left that for him. And, you know, he, we had a good conversation while, we, while I ate and while he ate. And then while that was going on, Hillary shows up, which this is a, a male-only event. Hillary shows up, and she calls out to him and tells him that she got the paperwork signed. And suddenly, she's surrounded by people that are armed, wondering how she got this far. And then I order them to escort her off the property and make sure she doesn't come back. So, but I asked them first, my guy has got a pistol to her forehead. And I asked Bill if he knew this woman. And he said, yes. And I said, do you want her to live? And he says, yeah, she's my wife. I love her. I was like, okay. So I have her escorted off and tell them to make sure she doesn't come back. So they walk her off the property. Then one of my security staff comes back and said, we need you to clarify something. I was like, sure, what? He was, well, you said she doesn't come back. Does that mean put her in her car and make sure she leaves? Or we're supposed to kill her when we get her off the property? I said, I just asked him if he wanted her dead. And he said, no. So put her in her car and make sure she leaves. And they're like, all right, some of the guys will be very disappointed. And they ran off to, to kick her off the property. Then I never saw her again there. And for that, I don't think I saw Bill again. I've seen both Bushes there. And I, in 1994, I saw, I was walking with an entourage. And I knew Soros. He was walking across a field with somebody. I didn't know who the guy was he was walking with. And I was walking with a group. And every time we would pass somebody that I was supposed to do a spell for, they would stop the entourage and say, you know, this person and that person need this from you. And somebody in the entourage would write this stuff down. So as we're walking, Soros and this other guy are on a collision course with our group. And that's fun for me because when somebody gets too close and they're not supposed to, they get tackled or tasered to the ground or threatened with the because you know, this high wizard is so important. You have an entourage protecting you. Had a you, I should put this in the past participle. You had an entourage protecting you when you were the satanic high wizard. Right, I had uh, protection for me back then, so you know I, I couldn't. There was almost no place I could go where I could walk in by myself and do something. You know, there was always security, uh, security detail with me or people, secretaries to write down stuff that I need. Or at a lot of places that I traveled, I had a makeup artist that would put on my makeup for me. So at some point, though, we stopped and these two people walked by. And the guy that was walking with me said, that guy's going to be president one day. And I looked at him and I thought, 
nobody voted for Jesse Jackson, why would they vote for him? But then a few years ago, before Trump, we voted him in twice. Barack Obama. Barack Obama in 1994, I hear he wasn't even political. So you saw Reagan, Clinton, Obama at the Bohemian Grove, known to be satanic or at least in cahoots with Satanists. Did you ever see Trump at any of these events? No. No, And Reagan, I hear, was very uncomfortable to be there. Yeah, I cut you off on that story. You, You put your hand out, he leaned back, and then I cut you off. Can you finish that story? Sure. Um... You know, my first time there at Bohemian Grove, I saw Ronald Reagan. This was 1987, and I voted for Reagan, so I wanted to to shake his hand. And I walked up to him, and I stuck my hand out, and he started to shake my hand, and then he saw me. He looked up and saw me, and he pulled his hand back, and then he started leaning backwards. Like, he didn't take a step backwards, but he just leaned backwards. It was in his eyes. He was like, I'm not shaking hands with you. I don't want to have anything to do with you. You know, and I was like, I respect that. I don't have to shake your hand. My feelings won't be hurt. So why would someone who gained all of his power through abortion vote for Ronald Reagan? I mean, I understand Reagan. Some some people out there believe Reagan didn't deliver what he had promised as far as the end of abortion. But why would someone like you, who got all of his power through abortion, vote for a Republican like Reagan? Um, I was patriotic, and Reagan made me feel proud of the country. Okay. You know, he made me happy to be American. I mean, Jimmy Carter, to me, was just like, I wasn't old enough to vote for Carter, but Carter made me ashamed to be American. You know, I, I really thought, you know, the, the Cold War is going to break out in America. The Russians are going to come over and Carter's just going to hand them the keys. Now, before we get to your involvement with Bill Gates, tell us why someone asks for a spell, what happens in it, maybe even include some theology. Why would God allow Satan to deliver on it? Well, God allows you to use your free will. If you want to use your free will to do a spell, God tells you in the Bible not to. I think in in some sense of the word, that lends power to the ability to do one that God told you not to. It's like God telling you not to lie or not to murder or not to steal. You know, suddenly you may think about stealing something. You may not have thought of before just because in the way that the Baptist preacher told you not to. You know, it's, it's almost like God's not giving you permission. But in some sense of the word, and I, I'm being very, very loose here, but it seems almost like by God saying not to, that means it's something you can do. You do have the ability to do it. Yes, my, my coven was paid. Now, there's a rumor as to how much the actual amount was. Somebody said it was $100 million. That's the least amount. Somebody said it was $500 million. 
and somebody said it was a billion dollars, that they wanted a spell done so that every show on TV had a homosexual character. And not just a gay character, but that he would be everybody's favorite. He would be the funniest, the wittiest, the most caring, the most endearing, the favorite uncle, you know, a new dad, or maybe him and another dad will adopt a child. You know, there'd be something going on where that, and you know, when, when awards are given out, they win them. When, you know, people's choice or, and you know, when I did that spell, I didn't think that would really happen. When I did that spell, homosexuality was a curse. It was bad. So Zachary, it sounds like with this much money being exchanged, you didn't actually get to see all of it immediately, but you were living large. You were, I think you told me an $86 million mansion. You had a Lamborghini Diablo. This stuff paid, again, temporarily. You lose your soul in the end if you don't repent. Thank, thank God you repented. But with this type of money being exchanged, I don't think most listeners out there can understand the level of money and power Satan was able to give you in exchange for your soul. Again, only God owned your soul. You repented. Your will was given back to God. Um, but at the time, you were very rich and, at least by earthly standards, very powerful. Well, I, I think there, there's a couple of things that need to be explained to the listeners. One is that Satan's rich. God is wealthy. Hmm. You know, if you don't know the difference, Michael Jordan is rich. Shaq is rich. Who signs their checks is wealthy. Mm. You know, Michael Jordan's worth just shy of a billion dollars. Who gave him that billion dollars? That person's wealthy. So, you know, but what, what something to also get here is that a lot of people ask me, when I escaped Satanism, why didn't I take the money? Why didn't I drive away in my Lamborghini? I didn't own my Lamborghini. I didn't own my mansion. I, I lived in mansions, condos, and I had a real apartment. My real apartment was mine. I, I lived in a, a part of Tallahassee, Florida called Frenchtown. It's the ghetto. I don't know if it still is. It, was, it started one block behind the governor's mansion. And that's where I lived. There's um, a piece of property that used to be a church. It was converted to an apartment complex. And our backyard was a cemetery. And I, I paid at that time, I think I paid $150 a month for my apartment. And that's back when apartments, a, a decent apartment would be about $600. I'm living in, well, I just want to set up that my mansion, my condos weren't mine. My $87 million was not mine. I had $265 in the bank most of the time. That was my money. You know, my $87 billion looks good. And when I go to a different town where I'm infiltrating someplace and the bank president sees that I'm worth $87 billion and I'm driving up in a Lamborghini Diablo, I'm important. I've got money. Did you say, I've got, did you say 87 million or 87 billion? Million. Okay. Mm -hmm. So 87 million, a Lamborghini Diablo, a mansion, maybe multiple places. Maybe I'm living multiple places all around the country. But if anybody came to Tallahassee, I was dressed in cutoff jeans and a Metallica t-shirt, flip-flops, and drove a Nissan Sentra and stayed in a cheap, dumpy apartment. Gotcha. You know, it was I, a job. 
yeah, I don't have any of this stuff that everybody sees me as having. You know, there was an album, there was I think there was two, came out by Guns N' Roses back in the 90s called Use Your Illusion. And that's what Satan does. He uses his illusion so that everybody sees the high wizard and wants to be the high wizard. Everybody wants everything the high wizard has. Everybody looks at me or looked at me and thought, this guy's got it all. You know, they see me with a different girl every night. They see me and I may or may not be sleeping with them, but I want eye candy with me all the time. I want it to look like I've got everything. If you see me out in public, you might see me wearing an Armani suit. Those aren't mine either. They're custom made to my specs. But when I left Satanism, all my suits, my cars, my houses, my money, everything stayed behind. Okay. When I left, I had a Nissan Sentra and $265 and a couple of pairs of jeans and a couple of T-shirts. Mm. You know, I, I don't have any of the spectacular. I don't have. Okay. You remember when I said. Satan gives you this box that looks so attractive. Yes. Got neon lights and glitter and all this stuff sparkles on it. Well, if you take the lid off and look inside, you see bars of gold. But if you examine them really closely, it's like gold tinfoil covering dog crap. Don't look too deep because you'll be offended at what you see. Yep. So when I was living the life, Everybody saw the box. When I left, my life was the inside of that box. Mm. It's the dog crap. You know, it's a great what, description. Yeah, that's a great description. What, Can you what tell he, us a story? Oh, go ahead. What he demands of you and what he gives you in return is nowhere close to fair. I mean, on, what amount of money is your soul worth? There's no amount. There's nothing he can give you where you can go, oh, yeah, I'm, it's worth it to go to hell. Let me do that. Let me sign up for that deal. That's right. But when I was the high wizard, I wasn't sure that hell was real. You know, when you're told that Jesus defeated the devil on the cross 2,000 years ago, and the devil is afraid of the Baptist church, but you know that you work for the devil and you're attacking all these churches— and they don't have the power to stand up to you. How right are they? Is there really a hell? You know, as a high wizard, you eventually find out there is a hell. There is How'd a hell. Find that out? How'd you find that out? They tell you. Okay. The, the CEO of my coven back then um, would at times get possessed by Satan himself. And when he's possessed by Satan himself, he seems fairly honest. Hmm. And he said that he would see me later in hell. Is hell empty, Zachary? No. Since Satan is pretty darn full. Magic spells, when, when you do them, there's, there's different levels of spells. You know, there's something, you know, I'm sure you've heard of people doing, giving you the evil eye. Sure. The evil eye is literally what you just heard. It's looking at somebody... Another term is calling it the stink eye. Sure. Something giving you a look that's just not nice. Mm -hmm. The world of magic, if a high wizard did that to you, that'd be like equivalent to somebody spitting in your face. So not really a, 
nothing really bad happens there. Even from really, a high, even from a high wizard, nothing too bad happens, huh? Nothing too bad happens with that. Now, a very basic spell that a high wizard would not do, but just in case somebody's wondering, like if I'm cursed or something, how do I get rid of a spell? There's a spell called a line of sight curse, and in a line of sight curse, the the witch doing it has to keep you in their line of sight and do the spell while they can see you. So if somebody you know is a witch is looking at you and you see them mumbling under their breath, they're doing an incantation, or if they're doing something strange with their hands, possibly they're doing a spell, but they have to keep you in the line of sight the whole time. So if you disappear, they can't complete the curse. So if you can run away or go hide someplace, you're covered. If, for whatever reason, they're doing this line of sight curse and you're not in a state of grace, the curse sticks to you. But it is the only curse that if you go to confession, it wipes the curse out. So it, it's a very, in a one, on the one hand, it's a very lame curse because confession gets rid of it. But it's the only one that works that way. And I don't think a high wizard would do it. It wouldn't be powerful enough for him. Tell us, so, tell us the ones that the high wizard that you would do for somebody. So when you start going up in spells, then each level that goes up takes the, the almost the risk that what you're doing and then what the attack you're using goes up a notch. So like the next level up would be you shove somebody equivalent to the next level up from that you punch somebody the next level up from that you stab somebody the next level up from that you shoot somebody when you get to a hex a hex is the top level spell that a high wizard has now in some satanic covenants a hex is just their most powerful magic spell but it does not involve an abortion in the World Church of Satan or Satan's World Church, a hex always comes with an abortion. And an abortion with your hex is like the equivalent of somebody sitting tied up in a chair and you dropping an atomic bomb on their head. Whatever you just asked for is going to happen because you killed the most innocent person alive. You took an innocent baby and murdered it for your cause. You're going to get that, but man, I would hate to be you on Judgment Day. You have got to get to confession. If you haven't gone, you've got to go. Amen. And, you know, there's a such thing as divine mercy. You've got to experience it. You can't think God's okay with that. I just murdered a baby. God's fine with it. You know, God is not okay with it. You know, there's um, there's so many people that there was a politician that you might can guess who this was. I won't tell you the name, but he wanted a particular woman to sleep with him. And you don't know the woman, but she was, she was very beautiful. And... I thought, he's handsome, 
and he's a politician. Who would say no? But apparently she said no. And he wanted an abortion done for it. I've actually done that for more than just him. One of the people, we would have uh, these silver coins. We have silver and we have gold. And the silver coin says HW on both sides of it. And the gold coin says HW on one side. And on the other side, it has what looks like a top hat with either a wand or a cane going across it. When we go to a satanic event, like um, a conference or something, we run much of the conference. We talk a lot. We give a couple of talks. We do some spells. We put on some demonstrations. And at some point, music will play. And we do what's called the mocking dance. And in the mocking dance, I come out and I have these coins in my pockets. And I pull out handfuls of them and I throw them out to the audience. And a silver coin, I mean, it's worth whatever a silver coin is worth. But, and it says, you know, HW on it. So obviously you went to a satanic event to get it. What does that stand for? High wizard. Oh, okay. Of course. (laughs) But it doesn't do anything for you to get a silver coin. But if you get the one gold coin that I throw out, you can go to any high wizard in the world Give him that gold coin, and he'll do anything for you that you want. Whatever you want, he'll grant it for you. So if you want an abortion done so you can get something, he'll do that. Or whatever else you want, he'll do it. So when I saw Bill Clinton at this event at Bohemian Grove, he shared a piece of this cake with me that I really wanted. So I gave him a gold coin. And he eventually gave that gold coin to somebody so that he could have sex with a woman. And imagine being able to get anything you want with this gold coin, and that's what you traded on. You, as the high wizard, I mean, that just seemed like such a waste to me. You know, anything, people would ask for car a better car to be cured from cancer for a hundred acres of property because it borderlines something that they want they want it in a place that some place is like amazing and they want to own that property mm-hmm. or you know anything that you can think of that you can buy or even something that you can't buy something that you could attain but you don't have the wherewithal to get it. That's what that gold coin is for. So Zachary, this is a really great segue into Bill Gates and the Brandenburg Group or Bilderberg Group. Can you tell us about your involvement with them? Why would they want a satanic high wizard? What was your job? What's the job of other satanic high wizards? Tell us about your involvement. I think it was early 90s in Munich when we were talking on the phone the other day. Yes. So, you know, like I said, I was at Bohemian Grove I, was, I, I worked with a few uh, governmental groups, and one of them was the Bilderberg Group. They were named after the Bilderberg Hotel. It, that was the first place they ever met. And this is going to be a room of billionaires and politicians, but people that not just are billionaires and politicians, but people that are truly out 
to rule the world. People that want the new world order and people that want to orchestrate what happens with the new world order when it happens and trying to get their favorite politicians voted in. You know, if you'll recall, now a lot of people did not see this and I've looked for it since then and it's like the internet was scrubbed. So I don't mm. know where it is now. But in 2016, Trump said that Hillary worked for the Illuminati. That used to be on the online. I saw that the day it happened. I saw him say it. Mm. And so, I mean, you know, he, he brought the Illuminati into the forefront, you know, and spoke out against somebody. I'm pretty certain that Hillary was supposed to be the president. But we got blessed with a jubilee year of divine mercy, and we got Trump instead. You know, I'm really hoping that happens. I know this isn't the jubilee year of mercy anymore, but I'm hoping that something merciful takes place, or we're going to be pretty darn doomed having uh, Biden in there. You know, a lot of people out there either don't know what the Illuminati is, or they were taught it's a conspiracy theory. Can you tell us what that is? It's more of a conspiracy fact. It's a, a group of people. Um, a lot of them were born into it. It's like they have bloodlines that are uh, Illuminati, like the Rothschilds or the Kennedys. And it's a group of people that pull the necessary levers or push the necessary buttons to make things happen all around the world. So that not just presidents get elected or kings or queens get put into you know power but world events take place you know planes fall um places get destroyed bombs go off people get assassinated you know they're very much in control of what happens you know i mean there's some stuff like i said i think hillary was supposed to be the president and we were shown divine mercy that year and got Trump instead. But, you know, think about all the abortions that have taken place because of Obama. Mm -hmm. The most uh, abortion-friendly president we've ever had. You know, and, and I would like to think that no Catholic did that, but 40% of his voters were Catholic. Mm, unbelievable. And that's like, you know, as my... One of my former priests said, 40% of the stupid Catholics. You know, it's like people don't understand. You know, just because you're not committing the abortion, everybody that works in the abortion clinic is culpable for that dead baby. So if you're the receptionist, if you're the counselor, if you're the security guard, whatever your job is there, you're responsible for every dead baby. That's you know who's all responsible? The president that said it was okay to have a late-term abortion or to said it was okay to have any abortion. And you know who else would be culpable? The person that voted in that politician. That's and right. They do 1.3 million baby, dead babies every year. So if you're... If you voted for Barack Obama two, year, two terms in a row, you're responsible for 1.3 million babies times eight, mm. at least. So let me get this of, straight. 
your involvement as a satanic high wizard in groups like the Brandenburg Group or at least Bohemian Grove, you were in cahoots as a high wizard of the satanic church with the likes of the Clintons, Obamas. We're going to get to Gates in a minute, but you never saw Donald Trump at any of these events. No, I never saw Donald Trump there. Tell us about Gates. I was I would go to these Bilderberg meetings. Now I didn't go to every single Bilderberg meeting. I did go to Bohemian Grove from '87 to '98. So that was a, ma- a major. I was a major staple there, as I was. My magic was 91 percent accurate, and I was pretty popular. Bilderberg. When you walk into a Bilderberg meeting, everybody there has got an ego the size of the building you're in. I, as well, had that same ego. Mm -hmm. I'm dressed as the high wizard every place I go at that time. So everybody sees me in corpse paint on my face. Now, it could be white or it could be black. I added a lot of color to mine. I thought that plain white was just boring. And then the tuxedo. My tuxedo was generally... An 1800s type tuxedo. I like the older model, older style. Top hat. And I used a cane because I thought a wand was kind of hokey or silly. So I'm dressed like that. And they see me as a clown. They're, they're not even really taking the high wizard. On the one hand, they don't take my position seriously. On the other hand, they want the powers that I can give them. They want the deals I could do. They wanted, you know... These people are trying to broker a $25 billion deal. Mm, or a billion, billion, as in beta. Right. They, they want something that is, you know, somebody that wants a million-dollar deal has no place being there. Mm-hmm. You don't, you're asking for enough. Yes. You know, like somebody asked me, so can I get like a, a $10 million deal? And I said, you're boring. And I stood up and walked away. You know, I I don't want to do something like that. I wanted to do something where what I did made a difference. Now, in spell work, when you do any spell as as a high wizard, you have 90 days for that spell to come true. If it does not come true in 90 days, it goes against you that you didn't have it. It didn't work for you. Now, that's even if it works on day number 91. You were still considered a failure, so you don't get credit for it. Now, the only way that it does work, other than 90 days, is let's say that I did, a, I did the spell back in the day for every show to have a gay character. Well, that's supposed to take place starting in 20 years. You get credit for all those spells because it's not fair that that count against you just because it's set in the future sometime. So they, you get automatic credit for anything that you do that's deep in the future that you can't obviously prove in 90 days. So if somebody wants something and they tell you, I want it to happen in 100 days, you get credit for it because they set it for in the future. You know, so even if it doesn't come true in 100 days, you still got credit. So... I know that I'm going to do, if I've got to do stuff that's going to, you want a $100 billion deal, 
I've got to do an abortion, but I know I'm going to get credit for whatever it is. But they also know that I'm 91% accurate, so I'm most likely I'm going to get whatever they want. I'm going to be able to do it. But I've got 30 people at this meeting that they hold each other. They hold a lot of each other in disdain. They don't like each other very much. And they certainly don't like me. But they know if they want to get something done, I was a necessary evil. They had to put up with me to get what they wanted. Mm-hmm. And they had to pay big bucks to get it. You know, I'm not, I'm not the guy that, you know, you can offer me, you can offer my coven $20 million and we'll just jump at it. Mm. You know, my coven wants $100 million or $500 million or a billion dollars. And then sure, the high wizard will jump through your hoop. Although, like I said, I have turned down one spell in my life. So I'm in this room. There's this long boardroom table that's probably, it's at least 50 feet long. It's probably longer. Very shiny, very pretty. And then there's vending machines that don't cost anything. And there's food in there. The place is it's catered. And we have, um, I've got a bucket, a large ice bucket, metal. It's filled with ice and Dr. Pepper. And let me get this right. We're in in Munich with the Bilderberg group. And there's a bunch of billionaires in this room with you. And you're the high wizard. Correct. And Dr. Pepper is my drink of choice. So I have a bunch of those in, in this ice bucket. and. That's what I'm going to drink. I got one out. I put it on the table. And there's all these billionaires in the room. And Bill Gates walks in the room. And Bill Gates comes in. And he has an entourage with him. And they brought these drinks in cups. It looks disgusting. It's red and green. And it's kind of lumpy. And I don't know what it is. It stinks. Everybody's making a face that looks at it or smells it. Now, it turns out that it has adrenochrome in it, but I, don't, I didn't know that at the time. And he tells everybody in the room, this will make you healthier and help you live longer. And he has everybody gets one. And then his and real quick, leave- um, sorry to interrupt. You told me this on the phone a couple of weeks ago. Up to that point, I had not known what adrenochrome was. Can you tell us what that is before you continue in your story? Sure. Adrenochrome is a chemical that is made in children's bodies. It's adrenaline and blood. And when they are terrified, their body releases this. And then they filter it. They used to filter it over bronze. Now I think they filter it over silver or gold. By torturing children. By torturing children eventually to death, and the, the, the they then fill they they make this into a chemical, and you can either drink it or inject it. I think, and I've seen people hooked up to what looked like dialysis machines, and this was in California, but I didn't know that this is what they were doing. They were taking the impurities out of their bodies, and then putting their blood back in with adrenochrome. Mm. 
And adrenochrome supposedly makes you live longer. Like a lot longer. Like you shouldn't be living this long. And I certainly, you know, I got enough stuff to answer for on Judgment Day. I certainly would not want to answer for why I kill children so that I could live longer. So Gates is giving these drinks to everybody. And he gives me one. And I'm thinking, I'm not drinking that. I don't know what it is, but I'm not interested. You know, I'm fine with my Dr. Pepper. And he tells everybody basically what it is, but he doesn't say adrenochrome. And he tells everybody to drink up. And I opened my Dr. Pepper and I took a sip. And he told me that I have to do what he says. And I said, who do you think you're talking to? And he says, everybody in this room has to do what I say. Take a drink of, of this drink. And he had a name for it, but I don't remember it. And I took a drink of my Dr. Pepper. You know, it's like, I, I am not the one. And so he's ordering me to take the sip, drink it. And he's ordering everybody to do it. Everybody else is doing it. And they look, they've got the most disgusted looks on their faces, but they're doing it. I'm refusing to do it. So then he tells, I'm standing up. He tells everybody to stand up. So I sat down. Because you do not tell the eye wizard what to do. So then he orders me again. He tells me that I have to do what he says. And I said, is that your final answer? And he ordered me to get up and take a drink. And I waved my hand over him. And suddenly he couldn't move. He could talk, but he couldn't move. Like he was trying to take a step or sit down or do anything. He couldn't now, take another. that point, real quick, I had seen Bill Gates, kind of when he gets excited, he kind of gets into a higher voice, at least on the things I've seen on TV. Clearly, I've never seen him in real life. What did he sound like when he was getting mad at you? Very shrill. It, it, it's, like, it's almost like a child having a tantrum. Mm -hmm. And I laughed about it. I mean, to his face, basically. And... I got up, picked up my Dr. Pepper, and walked out. So let me get this straight. And you put a spell on him, and he froze, couldn't move his body, but could keep speaking. Right. So I walked out. I walked down a hallway, got my driver, told him we were leaving. And, you know, he was saying, I thought this event lasted a few more days. I said, it does. I'm leaving for the night. And he knows that when we're there, we're there. You know, we're going to be there for 18 hours. And we're leaving after six hours, maybe. Maybe. And, you know, he's not going to ask any questions. He's just the driver. So he goes out, takes me back to my hotel. And then I get dinner. But when I get back to my hotel, my phone is ringing. You know, this is before cell phones. Mm -hmm. But we might. You know, we might have had sat phones back then, right. but, you know, my, my hotel room, my, my, my phone is ringing and I walked over and unplugged the phone. And then I went out for dinner. So I went out, I took a shower, 
And then I went out for dinner. Then I came back to the hotel room, started watching some TV, plugged the phone back in. It was still ringing. So I unplugged it again. And you're talking about one of those landlines into the hotel room, obviously not a cell phone. Right. So I watched some TV for a while, drank a couple of drinks, and then plugged the phone back in. And the phone's still ringing, so I answered it. And somebody in the room says he wants to know if I'll remove the spell off of him. And I said, is he, is he ready to say he's sorry? And so they ask him, and he says no. So I hung up the phone. Mm. And, you know, I thought, I'm going to enjoy some time in the hot tub. So I did that. Had a couple more drinks. Came back out. You know, went, laid on the bed, turned on the TV. Thought, maybe I should plug the phone back in. So I did that. And the phone was still ringing. So I picked it up. And they said, the first thing out of there, I said, you know, hello. He said, he's ready to make an apology. And I said, let me hear it. So he said that he was very sorry that he tried to order me to do something. That he did not realize the power and scope of the high wizard. And that he didn't have the power to tell me what to do. And that he would not make that mistake again. So I waved my hand again. And I heard him with a sigh of relief and he collapsed into the chair behind him. Even and, though you were miles away when you released him? Well, you know, it's a demon that put the spell on him. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the demons can travel, you know, like that. Sure. Really I just quick. mean you, you weren't right next to him when you released him, though. Right. I, I just had to let the demon know that the spell's gone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and to release him. So I did that. Now, fast forward a few months, and I was at, as wizards, we have offices that we work out of sometimes. And I was in Chicago in one of these offices. And I got a package in the mail. And my secretary opened it up. And she says, well, this is interesting. And so she opens it up and lifts out a sheet cake. And it's done in the shape of a Ouija board. And it says, were you the high wizard that put the spell on Bill Gates? And then there was a piece of the, of the Ouija board that said yes, and a part that said no, and a planchette in there. So we packed up the yes in the, in the box and put the planchette in there and mailed it back to the person that asked. The person that asked was a high wizard. And he said, when, when I put that spell on Bill Gates, Bill Gates called, had somebody call him, call another high wizard, and say that I put a spell on him. Can this other high wizard take the spell off? And this was before you released him, because there was a five-hour period in there. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and that high wizard said no. Once a high wizard puts a curse on you, it's set until your original high wizard takes it off. You know, it, but it's not exactly a rule. It's like a common courtesy. 
Tell me your thoughts on the pandemic and Bill Gates, lockdown, the masks, everything. Well, funny you should mention that. At this particular Bilderberg meeting, the, the main topic was population control and what to do. You know, how can they get less people in the world so that the new world order could come into power and take over? Um, they were talking about creating, creating a pandemic more than one if they could, something that no one would suspect that somebody did. Like, it seems natural. It seems like something that, um, like a flu type thing, but they didn't say a flu. You know, they said something like the common cold that mm -hmm. would, you know, people would get it and suddenly they're dropping dead when they haven't dropped dead in the past, or they didn't drop dead as much as they will from this, you know, and it's just, and everybody, you know, he says, if you start it in the right place, it would spread everywhere. He said, yeah, there are some places like, you know, if you put it in Trinidad, for example, you might have 5,000 people die. But, you know, unless you did it at Carnival, you know, you did it at Carnival, there's like a million people there. You know, so that would do something. And what was, the end, what was the end goal of this pandemic stuff? It was to kill off major portions of the population around the world so that you know, smaller places are easier to control. Less people, I mean, honestly, if you put 100,000 people in Doak Campbell Stadium, well, 91,000 standing room only, Doak Campbell Stadium, which is easier to control, that 91,000, or if you put 1,000 people in there? So you're saying Bill Gates, in a meeting you were at, was talking about creating a pandemic? Yes, but, you know, the stuff he said, like the, the stuff that they, they talked about was that where none of the people in that room could ever be held accountable. You know, when, when it comes out, you know, and even at that time, they talked about, could they have a government do it? And there's got to be a government out there that would be willing to kill off, you know, some of their own people, but the majority of the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Who did and they find on that? At that time, I don't know that they had a choice. Okay. You know, the, the, the Cold War had just ended, so they probably weren't looking at Russia anymore. Right. But, but you know, I mean, who, who knows at that time? Names went around. Like, they named politicians that I didn't know, and they named a lot of these people were foreign. You know, and a lot of them were people that, not necessarily their country, but they know people in other countries. Now, did they give any lead into after the pandemic, even if there's a less, less of a population, there still has, I mean, there's still 7 billion people on the planet. Did they give any clues as to how to control all these people? Well, they said that at the point that we have a pandemic, certain rules have to be enacted. Like, you can't travel. You can't, you know, like somebody threw out, you know, maybe they'll have to wear like masks or gloves or special clothes 
or maybe they can't leave the house, you know, or they, they definitely can't go from country to country, you know, and certain jobs would be put at risk, you know, and you, you just want everybody to fall in line with this. And then, you know, people have got to know that if you decide to not act right, then there's serious consequences. Okay. Right. Well, you know, I think what a lot of people don't get about the election, and this is about every single election, not just this one. You know, when you're looking at the what's important to you, and you're looking at, well, the economy is the most important thing, or climate change is the most important thing, what do you think the most important item to God is? Because I would think the most important thing to him would be life. That's right. And in the Democratic Party, they're the pro-death, you know, party. Everything is about abortion, the right to an abortion. I mean, there's a, a, a satanic coven in, I don't remember which state, but they said that, that they're suing the governor because it's a satanic right to have an abortion. If you're denying them an abortion, you're denying them their religious freedom. But Zachary, there's a bunch of pro-life Catholics out there who are going to vote for Biden because they're tired of voting for pro-life Republicans. They're tired of the Reagans. They're tired of the Bushes. They're even not sure Trump is going to deliver on this. So to your words, is repeated in many elections. What would you say to all of the pro-life Catholics out there? They're not not that it's the majority. But there's a good chunk, I don't know, maybe I'd guess 20, 30 percent of the pro-life Catholics out there are going to vote for Biden because, again, one, they don't think Trump's going to deliver. And two, to put it really bluntly, they're just bored on voting on abortion. Why do you well, think this why do you think abortion even comes into this next election cycle? I think I think there's a couple of things. One, at what point when we've got something important to pray for, at what point do we stop praying for it? Like, your mother's dying of cancer. How long do you pray for her to live or get better or not be as bad before you give up? Right. Because even when she dies, you need to pray for her soul. So at what point do you say, Hey, Mom, I've prayed for you for three years and you haven't gotten better, so screw you. I'm not mm -hmm. praying for you anymore. Right. You know, it, it, you don't stop praying for things. You don't stop the battle. You know, you don't give up. You know, even if you lost 100 battles in a row, That's right. you don't give up the war. Because without the right to life, there is no other rights. That is correct. You know, and like, you know, we had a conversation a few weeks ago and you brought up that the people that hate Trump seem to hate Jesus. It seems to and be a one-to-one -one correlation on seven continents. It's, it's not just in the United States. And look, if, if I were made pope and he died, I wouldn't canonize him. I certainly don't think he's the uh, second messiah uh, by, by any means. He's probably not even living in sanctifying grace. However, the one reason I stay in Trump's corner is because Everyone on the planet who has a voracious hatred of Christ, all those same people have a voracious hatred of Trump. That's how I know 
God has chosen him, maybe not for a supernatural mission, but for a natural mission that hopefully, God willing, via his conversion, will become a supernatural mission. But it's his enemies that keep me so far, it's his enemies that keep me behind him more than his friends. Because it's uncanny, it's preternatural, and it's disproportionate if demons aren't involved. Well, you know, I didn't know. I, there was a lot of, lot of political figures that I didn't know when I was Iowa wizard. You know, if, if I saw you at Bohemian Grove and I had been, you had been the mayor or even a governor of any state, I wouldn't have known. I would, a senator. I had to be introduced to people to know who they were. And even once I've met you one time, you realize how many people I was meeting every day and every year. And in the course of 12 years, my gosh, it's like an unbelievable number of people. So it's not like I'm going to remember you if I met you once, unless you're Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton, Ronald Reagan. You know, you've got to be a huge name and on TV every day for me to know who you are. So I kind of think I might have met Biden, but I don't know. I don't mm-hmm. remember. It. He's I not a very remember. memorable person. He's not. Um, I met um, Walter Mondale, but just because he was there, he didn't want anything from me. And, did most of the people know, who meet you, like governors, senators, mayors of big cities, did they like to shake your hand because you were just the weird six foot six guy in a top hat with, like, you know, it was just a costume party? Or did most of these people know you delivered? the goods from Satan? It depends on who you are. I mean, some people knew exactly what I was. And some of those people shook my hand and some did not. And then other people, you know, some people just want to shake hands because I was a mover and a shaker. And knowing me couldn't do anything but help you in their mind. Sure. They might, they may, approve of how I got my methods done, you know, you know, somebody might be against abortion, but they were willing to come to me to get something done, even though I might do an abortion. Incredible. Because they would still, the ends justifies the means. This is what I'm hammering away at constantly on the morality of even the clergy. So many of the clergy even still believe the end justifies the means. We can lie about this person if it keeps the diocese up. We can close the churches because it'll keep them open in the future. All these things. God doesn't honor a morality like that. I never made my video, but I wanted to make a video about that. I think that, that the numbers that we have in the Catholic Church, the reason they're dwindling is lack of belief in the true presence. And as proof of lack of belief in the true presence, for all of you that were going to watch my video and say, oh, I believe that's really Jesus. Really? Where did you go to church during the shutdown? Because I live in Wichita, Kansas, and the only church that was open in my diocese was a St. Pius X church where they did parking lot masses where you could pull up in your car, listen on your phone, and then five people at a time could go up and get the Eucharist. Or like, if you're like me, because I'm in a wheelchair and hard for me to get in and out of the car, the priest brought it up to the car and gave it to me. But if I relied on my diocese, 
I couldn't have gone to mass and I couldn't have taken the Eucharist because all my churches were closed. You know, and to me, it's like, so God commands you to go out and evangelize and you evangelize by shutting down the church. Now, let me tell you who else was open. Protestant churches. Now, who has the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ? The Catholic churches that closed. Who doesn't have the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ? The Protestant churches that were open. How come the Protestants got more faith than we got? You think the World Church of Satan shut down during lockdown? No. Satan doesn't take a break. There you go. You know, Zachary, one thing, just to bring us back to Trump there for a minute, he keeps delivering on his promises not because he is some canonizable Catholic, but because he's a businessman instead of a politician. Let me say that again. He delivers on his promises because he's made a deal with, for example, you just mentioned evangelical Christians. So he talks about China, 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 and then he delivers on what needs to be done on that front. This is why I think he's different from one of the two Bushes, even the Reagans on abortion, is I think he has it in the crosshairs of the next four years. I think he has Roe versus Wade in the crosshairs of the next four years um, that he has nothing to lose. You know, people say, well, a second term president isn't ever going to deliver on his promises. I think that's generally true. But again, this is a businessman we're talking about, not a politician. I think he has... Uh, the, the I think he has the rails greased to bring us the end of Roe versus Wade, or at least do his very best. And at the very, very least, we know that Biden and Harris are not only pro-abortion, they're pro-infanticide. So right. even if someone were to doubt what I'm saying about Trump, we know that the other party is pro-abortion, pro-infanticide, tons of evidence that the the... There's tons of evidence that the Democrats are involved in child trafficking, child sex slavery. You know, it's not right. like it's a wash. You got the Republicans who are for unborn life and then the Democrats who are for the end of trafficking. No, we have the Republicans who are or at least the supporters of Trump are for the end of abortion and the end of trafficking. And now the Democrats are pro-abortion. And there's all this evidence coming out that they are in cahoots, if not doing, in cahoots with child traffickers. Have you seen the video that came out uh, it was a few years ago, I think, and it showed Biden at an event where his hands are on like a seven year old Asian girl. They're on her shoulders. And I've seen fingers, I've seen this. Oh, go ahead. Yep. His fingers are going back and forth across her breasts. He's clearly molesting this little girl on camera, in front of everybody, and nobody says anything to him. And, you know, if anybody wants to look up another conspiracy theory, and you're going to find where it was proven false, it was not proven false. Pizzagate. Tell us about that. I have a friend who was falsely accused uh, on a lot of that. Actually, she's public about this. I can say her name. Uh, her name's Stephanie Lozinski. It used to be Stephanie Nichols. And uh, she's actually on the board of directors for my hermitage, and before her conversion, she had covered this and then got accused of murder and all these other things because the left turned against her so severely for exposing parts of Pizzagate that she was suffering for the truth even before she became Catholic. Not sure if you've heard her name. 
but I'm glad to hear that you say that uh, people like her are vindicated in this whole thing because she I, lost I, her reputation for years for exposing this aspect of child trafficking. I got interviewed by a couple of places that were doing in-depth investigations. One of the guys that was interviewing me had pictures on his desk in front of him on his laptop of what the pizza parlor looked like. And he wanted me, he wanted to know if I'd ever been there. And I said, yes. And he said, okay, so what's it like if you drove up to go inside, what's it look like? And I said, well, there's a front part of the building that anybody can go into. And then the back of it has like a 12 foot fence that you would arrive in, in a van. And then you, no one can see you when you exit the van. There's a place to unload. Mm -hmm. When you go inside, you know, there's a long hallway. And then I'm describing all the rooms and the cooler that's in there and everything that's in this back area. And he said that everything that I'm describing, he's looking at. So, like, I'm able to walk him through all the pictures he's looking at so he knows I've been there. And then we were talking about it in Pizzagate. There were emails sent out between the Clintons, John Podesta, and a, a group of people. And they were describing types of pizza and utensils. And it was believed that they were actually describing children. And it, it, the children, a pizza party was really a, a, an event where a bunch of people are going to traffic in children and have sex with them. And they asked me about pictures that were taken of children in red shoes. But before I got asked that question, I had said that these people, the kids that are involved, are involved in like a month-long list of activities that are contests. And this could be hundreds of children involved, but the winners of these events are given red shoes. So mm -hmm. by the time the event happens, there's maybe anywhere from seven to maybe 20 kids. And these 20 kids are wearing, are wearing red shoes. When you show up at your event and these kids are there, you know that all the ones in red shoes are going to cost premium dollar because they won their contests. And you're just buying a child for sex. These kids are involved in contests. Some of them know what's going to happen to them, and some have no idea. And what is the connection of the big-name politicians to Pizzagate? That's who's involved. Um, the Clintons. Uh, it was rumored Barack Obama. Uh, I only saw him at the Grove, though. I didn't see him. Um, almost everybody in the Democratic Party. And there might be some Republicans as well, but I mean, it was a major scandal when it broke. And right. then what happened when this was being investigated, and this was like legitimate news sources, everybody, this was on everybody's lips for a day. And then it just started disappearing everywhere. And while all these people were under investigation, a, uh, a medical examiner died. No big deal. Everybody dies sometime. But the medical examiner died, and then they had an autopsy done on him, and he was poisoned. And then a newsman 
uh, a journalist of some kind, also died. And suddenly, people are dying that are covering this, and nobody wants to be involved anymore. I was called by the journalist that was investigating, that was interviewing me, and he said because people are dying, his editor is making him stop. So we have an apparent true event that's going on, and people are being murdered because of it, and now people are scared to cover it and have decided it's fake. It's fake news. So, Zachary, you were doing abortions as a satanic high priest. You had a conversion to become a very intense Catholic. You've given your life to Christ. You've been to confession. Try to go to Latin Mass now when you can. Tell us about what you believe will end abortion in this country and what you've done to participate in the end of abortion after doing 146, I believe, 146 ritualistic abortions yourself. At my conversion, the Blessed Mother told me my job was to help her end abortion. And I took that as, okay, that's my job. But I was going to adoration a lot. And eventually, I don't know how I'm supposed to help her do that. And so I was in adoration one day, and I told Jesus, hey, you know, your mom told me that my job was to help end abortion, but I don't know what to do. And so he (laughs) told me to, to wait a second. So I'm sitting there. I don't know how long, you know, this was, but his mother appeared in the adoration chapel. And she said something very short, but extremely profound. She said, use what you know. And she was gone. And I thought, oh, yeah, I could do that. I mean, I was involved in three, I was involved in 149 abortions. Three of them didn't work because people were praying the rosary outside. I didn't know that's why they didn't work. I didn't put that together. In my reports, I said people were praying a Jesus rope or a Jesus chain or worry beads. I, I didn't know that there were rosaries. Wow. I read all the other high wizard reports on failed abortions, and everybody said a similar thing, but nobody called it a rosary. You know, we were about to conduct an abortion, and it's me and the abortion doctor and uh, some people from my entourage. And my handler, the person that brings me my drugs or whatever it is I'm wanting, is there with me. And there's people across the street that have dropped down to their knees and they're praying, they're chanting. We can hear them chanting. And there's a satanic biker gang on our side of the street and they're flicking cigarettes and flipping people off and just being rude. And upstairs where we are, I opened up a jealousy window, big giant jealousy windows. So I cranked that open because we can hear them chanting. We wanna know what they're saying. So I start repeating back what I'm hearing. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Then my handler says, Holy Mary, Mother of God, and we burst out laughing. Because, I mean, come on, who can be the Mother of God? And, you know, we were, we were, the, we were the first Protestants, we were Satanists. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Mother of God, and we laughed it off, closed the jealousy windows again, went back over to start the abortion. The doctor tells her she's not even dilated. We're not ready. You know, this will be at least five hours before she's ready. Can I wait five hours? No. Can you come back tonight? No. Can you come back tomorrow? No. I got to go. I got stuff to do. You know, we're wasting my time now. So the woman 
wants to know if I would check. Is this your first rodeo too? Would you look? And I said, I'm not a doctor. I couldn't tell you if you're dilated or not. And she's screaming that the baby's in the birth canal. It's coming. The doctor checks again, says she's not dilated. I'm like, I, there's nothing I can do. And so me and the doctor are having a conversation and we hear a baby cry. And we look down and the baby came out. Now, once the baby's born, we don't do the abortion. Our hands, our hands are tied at this point. So we walk out of the room and a nurse comes in with a social worker and they're going to do the paperwork to get the baby adopted by somebody that wants it. They won't be a Satanist. So they do that and we're gone. We leave. You know, but I wanted to know because by then that was my third one that didn't work. And I wanted to look up what's the underlying, you know, common thread here. But reading all the reports, I couldn't come up with a common thread. Now, the common thread, when I look back, the common thread was these abortions happened. You know, High Wizard can do an abortion almost any time. You know, it's like, if you want to do an abortion at midnight at a Planned Parenthood, go do that. Somebody there will let you in. And you might have to make... So you're saying, you're saying almost... You're saying any Planned Parenthood will let in a satanic wizard to do your thing? Almost any. There's usually at least one Satanist at every abortion clinic. Even if everybody in the abortion clinic doesn't know it, there's one there. If you'd like to have a job where you can murder people with impunity, and you're a Satanist, wouldn't you become a doctor and become an abortionist? When you were doing abortions as a satanic high priest, or sorry, when you were doing abortions as a high wizard, did you know you were killing? Yes. Not the first one. I wasn't, I wasn't overly sure. I mean, they said if it was, I took a class when I, I went to a private school when I was in high school, at seventh grade through when I graduated. And we took a class where we were taught that it's not officially a baby till it's born and it takes its first breath. So that was, I was probably 14 or 15 when I got that class. I mean, she's a teacher. She's the principal of the high school. Why wouldn't I believe that? And she she cited scripture for it. Mm. So why haven't you been killed? If you're exposing all this evil, why hasn't anyone come at you? Well, I get attacked by demons regularly. You know, I've been, people have seen my crucifix lift up away from me. They've seen my feet get swept out from under me. I was standing on carpet and my feet got swept out from under me and my feet were all of a sudden above my head and my head hit the floor. I got knocked out for a minute. Um, I've been followed by Freemasons. I'm banned by the Freemasons from speaking in, I think, Medford, Wisconsin. I'm I'm, kind of proud of that one. I believe that if I decided that I wanted to hide because I'm scared, Mm -hmm. who else is hiding next to me? Who else is hiding under a rock, not wanting the bright light to be shown on them? The devil. Yep, that's right. If I'm hiding 
under a rock, the devil's already close to me. That's awesome. But, but you know, if I'm walking down the center of the street in broad daylight, holding the Blessed Mother's hand, where is the devil not going to be next to me? See, and this ties into what I've been telling people on a lot of my podcasts. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to stand up against lockdown. Don't be afraid to stand up against heresy that we might see people in the hierarchy preaching. Don't be afraid. Dan Bongino, who's a guy I listen to, Dan Bongino says, they're going to come for you anyway. The bad guys are going to come for you whether you take them on or not. That's the point where we are at, at world history and Catholic history. So you might as well go meet them on the battlefield before they come into your homes. Right. You know, what I tell people is that not being, because there's so many people, they don't want to attract the devil's attention by taking a stand in spiritual warfare. And I tell people, being a victim of bullying when I was a kid, Mm -hmm. I can tell you from experience that not hitting the bully back doesn't stop him from hitting you. Exactly. Exactly. Well, just before we sign off, I want to thank all of our listeners. If you like this and want to keep listening to these things, you can go to Padre Peregrino on YouTube and subscribe or Padre Peregrino on Apple Podcasts and subscribe or Padre Peregrino on CastBox on your Android. And uh, Zachary, I promise, did not ask me uh, to uh, do this at all. Um, But I don't know if anyone's going to make it three hours into our podcast. But if you've made it this far... Um, Zachary's given everything up and he lives quite a life of poverty. And so I would ask if you've made it this far, don't give to me this time. Give to Zachary. Zachary King is uh, giving his life to repentance for his uh, abortions, but also for the abortions he did and the life of all the curses he set. But he's also speaking. um, He has a whole plan for uh, priests to go in front of abortion centers, do exorcisms, mass walk around uh, these places. He had mentioned this earlier, walking around abortion centers with our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament in a monstrance. Um, and his, his method that he has suggested to priests and lay people for Eucharistic processions, mass, exorcism, and fasting has been very, very successful, right, in closing abortion centers? Yeah, yeah we've and shut so, down 49 abortion clinics. 49 abortion centers uh, closed down. So... Where can people find you to donate to you? Uh, my website is allsaintsministry.org. You can also you can buy my book there or my CD set there. Or if you go to Amazon, they have uh, my book and they also have it on Kindle. Okay, that's allsaintsministry.org. Yes, allsaintsministry.org. Okay, and then and- any final messages for us all, Zachary? You know, everybody is so scared of the devil and what the devil can do to you. But the devil's got to get God's permission before he does it. So if you're being attacked by the devil, there's a good chance God's letting you be tested to see what you're going to do. Stand up. Never say die. Don't give up. Don't stop praying. It's impossible to sell what you don't own. And get as close to the Blessed Mother as you can. You know, she's going to crush his head eventually at some point. Wouldn't you like to be there and see it? Amen. We'll sign off with that. Thank you so much for joining us today, Zachary. Thanks for having me.